2: the answer
0: yes indeed it is and our number two is underway at eight minutes past 10 o'clock thanks for joining us on am 1420 the answer the president has some fans down there in orlando he's going to be
2: uplifting to us and you know we all anticipate that he will be announcing officially his run
3: for 2020 A, a reaffirmation uh
2: that we're gonna make america great again well the weather stinks but you know what um at least it's not 90 100 degrees where we're melting it's part of the process if you're going to be first in line. Is this worth Yes. We're here to support Trump. We love our president. Support the greatest president of all time.
0: Yeah, the the uh, fans down there four, in Orlando. Four more years. Yeah. years. Four more four years. It's funny I call them fans rather than supporters. It is kind of in a way. They, he's kind of like a rock star down there, and uh, he's obviously uh, made uh, you know these rallies. Um, Uh, the way of his 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 political career he he, some are saying what do you mean launching his re-election campaign he launched it the moment he was elected by continuing to have these rallies in his presidency just as if he was being running for re-election again and indeed tonight's is a big one they've been standing in line down there the ones at the front for two days literally 48 hours they want to see the president does that sound like somebody who's not popular well the polling says different Polling says presidents getting beat up by Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, among others, and other Democrat contenders in the cesspool, as he calls them the Motley crew, are also gaining in uh, some strength as well. Let's we see what Peter Kirstenau thinks about all of that. Peter Kirstenau is, of course, a Cleveland attorney. He is a member of the United States Commission on Civil Rights. He is a best-selling author. He is a renowned speaker. He is a writer who contributes to National Review and other publications. He is sometimes an adjunct professor of law, and he is, most importantly, The premium primetime guest we have on the Bob France Authority on AM 1420 The Answer. Hey, Pete, how are you, my friend?
3: Doing well, Bob, especially after that introduction. Only 81 days until the Browns' first game. I'm really psyched for it, especially because it doesn't look like the Indians are probably going to go that far. I was really interested to see Clevenger's first appearance. I thought he had good stuff, great velocity. You know, it's first time back. uh, Had a little scare there in the second inning, but, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to the Browns.
0: I am, too. I think everybody else is pretty much just ready to give up on baseball season and just get this thing started. I totally agree. All right, Peter. Um, the polls are not good for the president. Um, and, and, you know, he says, well, these are fake news polls. Um, one of them is a Fox News poll. That's the one that I think jumped out at a lot of people who support the president, myself included, because Fox News generally isn't going to push poll to make the president look bad. Uh, Fox News polls uh, showed that he is, again, trailing by double digits to Joe Biden and uh, by around nine points to Bernie Sanders. Are you concerned about these polls any more than we ended up needing to be concerned about the polls uh, right up until Election Day in November 2016?
3: Uh, no, I think the president put it well. I think he looks at the polls in terms of they give him, you know, kind of an impetus to stay on his game. But other than that, in terms of whether or not they've got any validity this far out from the election, history shows that they don't. And I know that uh, over the last several days, there have been a number of pundits who've gone through the data showing that polls of this short sort, are typically showing that the incumbent president is going to have a hard time, or sometimes the incumbent president is doing extremely well. For example, you may recall back in, I think it was 91, when George H.W. Bush had something like a 30 to 40-point lead on any Democrat, and we know what happened there. But almost every election cycle, we've got these polls this far out that shows that, you know, the president is doing poorly. Barack Obama had the same thing. Clinton did the same thing. George uh, W. Bush was behind Kerry by, I think it was, 16 point. No, not behind Kerry, behind any any uh democrat by yeah. uh, i think a minimum of 11 points or 12 points so you know this is inconsequential as far as i'm concerned and i do think to some extent although i don't necessarily buy into the president repeatedly calling things fake news i think there's a lot of it as we know uh but i think this is one of those things that um you know the the press clearly wants to have number one something to talk about content number two because they have an animus toward the president they want to promote almost anything that shows the president is in bad shape and number three i think it's almost kind of a, an emotional a lifeline to uh, the uh, the left out there who, who they keep losing. Every, you know, president said you're going to be tired of all the winning. Well, most Americans love the winning, uh, but the left has been losing constantly under uh, President Trump. Uh, it's it's really a remarkable thing to see. You know, this latest thing where he says he's going to be deporting uh, immigrants. You know, I don't know how what kind of context or what kind of shape that's going to take, uh, but I know of a lot of Americans who said it's about time. You know, why have we been sitting around failing to enforce the law? And I know that Stephen Miller in the White House has probably come up with this because he thinks that not only is it the right thing to do, is it the lawful thing to do? But it acts as a deterrent for, you know, more immigration. We've got to look at all the things that will staunch the flow of all these immigrants coming in who think that it's, you know, party time in the United States now, as long as they get across the border and say the magic words of asylum, they're in for, for good. And we need a deterrent, and I think, President, because the Democrats are refusing to do anything about it because they're trying to seek new voters and will resist anything that Trump does anyway, Um, I think that he's doing everything he can to make sure that he can erect things that will look like deterrent features so that immigrants won't try to cross in the first instance.
0: Peter Kirsten, I was our guest. Um, Pete, uh, let me go back. Um, you used the word fake news in part of your answer just now, and, and, and it reminded me of something that you and I both kind of shared some thoughts on this morning as we listened to Hugh Hewitt talking to Jim Acosta. Um, acosta's book is called enemy of the people he is, his book is essentially largely mocking the president for describing the mainstream press particularly the fake news press the cnn press the jim acosta press as being the enemy of the people for the misinformation that they put in people's heads and the lack of full stories that they provide they just uh, are an embarrassment to journalism um but he had the temerity did jim acosta of cnn to call out Fox News, saying that their primetime lineup of shows from eight uh, to uh, eleven p.m., and of course they're talking about Tucker and Hannity and Laura Ingram, are akin to state TV. That they get scripts from the White House, scripts from the Trump administration on what they should say and how they should say it. Now, obviously, they are all unabashed supporters of the president for the most part. Tucker has some some uh, reservations about President Trump, but. Uh, But largely, they do support the president, and the president's policies and the president's ideology. But the idea, Pete, that that they are taking literal scripts and cues from the White House as to what they should be talking about rather than being allowed to do their shows as they see fit, because they're not doing, quote, big J journalism there. They are talking about, you know, giving their opinions and so on and so forth. The idea that they're taking their cues from the White House, I think, is just preposterous.
3: Not only is it preposterous, as we know, Bob, and you know, I've said it on Tucker's show, for example, that whenever you listen to the left, it is really remarkable that they are engaged in projection on a regular basis. Remember maybe Mr. Acosta, the most clueless, least self-aware person out there possibly. And I heard that interview. It was really astonishing to listen to this 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 guy's completely oblivious. He has no clue what he sounds like to an audience such as yours or to Hugh Hewitt or anyone else that listens to 1420. But he's engaged in projection. Remember this. When he talks about scripts, his own network, his own network was getting scripts. From the Clinton administration, from the Clinton campaign. We have MSNBC, CNN, and all the alphabet uh, networks out there who are taking cues from the Clinton campaign. Not that they needed it. That's the thing. That was simply redundant because people like Acosta and most of the cast of characters um, in the mainstream news have an affinity for Democrats. In this particular case, it was Clinton, and they don't need talking points because they will organically simply repeat what the left is going to say anyway. I, uh, you know, I'm almost speechless when I listen to an Acosta spew that nonsense, and I know your listeners who were listening to it this morning, I happened to be late driving in because there was a traffic jam, yeah. and so I was stuck there listening to this stuff, and I became furious. I turned it off at one point, saying, I can't listen to this garbage, and I had to turn it back on because it was almost like, you know, watching a car wreck. You wanted to hear this guy, and, and Hugh was giving him full reign to disclose his uh, his idiocy, but the guy is completely clueless. I heard his first interview, I don't know if you heard that, I think it was on Friday or Thursday also, I, at least I heard a portion of it. <laughs> Um, with with Acosta. This was his second interview that that. Oh, you this had. is
0: Hugh? you? You mean Acosta's second interview with you? I didn't know he was on twice with him.
3: Yeah, he was on twice. He was on okay, last week bad. also. So he's giving him a, a platform to sell that ridiculous book. But yeah. in any event, um, I'm, I, I would be uh, amazed if anyone after that performance would even think about buying that book. But in any event, in the first uh, interview last week, He was spewing forth even more inane things. Um, And I can't remember all the things he was saying, and I don't want to bore your audience with it or inflame your audience with the kind of things he was saying. But again, he had no clue to whom he was speaking or who the listeners were. He was completely oblivious throughout. Um, He would say things that apply to the CNN and MSNBC folks that we see on a regular basis. And I think what happens is, They are in that bubble. They have no idea that there is, frankly, the majority of the country out here who don't agree with them and have identified them for what they are. And he says, We're not the enemy of the people, but he doesn't realize we have already seen them with their hands in the cookie jars. His own colleagues giving Hillary Clinton the answers, or the, I'm sorry, not the answers, but the questions to impending um debate questions from the panel. Uh, this is extraordinary. And he's saying that they're getting scripts. Now, nah, Jim, uh, that's an element of projection. And also, you look at the hagiography that passed for news reporting under Obama. They didn't need any kind of scripts. They simply were in awe of Obama and constantly praised everything he did. Even though That's this right. guy, in and almost it wasn't, every measure, go and ahead, it Bob. wasn't
0: just limited to one network. And that, to me, Pete, is the most frustrating thing. As I listened to Acosta, the same thing you did this morning, uh, is is you know suggesting that first of all that you know that it is state state TV that, that they're providing uh, the scripts to the to the network and so on and so forth. But even if they were. I mean, I almost couldn't blame them. I almost could not, you know, because the the president is getting such a, 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 an unfair shake from the rest of the press, from all of the other networks, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, C, uh, CNBC, MSNBC, and on down the line. Uh, it's so ninety. I think we've we've talked about it. We've seen it. They've studied it both in broadcast and in print. Ninety percent of the coverage of Donald Trump is negative. So he's got one network that doesn't bash him all of the time, and Hannity praises him a lot, and Tucker is fair to him, and 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 Ingram is fair to him. And suddenly, that's state sponsored TV. One network out of the you know dozens of of and, and really hundreds, if you look at all of the different publications and online places, um, you know one. Uh, gives him actually a fair shake, and that is what we're going to rip and say. This is this is just terrible. This is uh, this is unbecoming a, a network that wants to be legitimately taken of taken as as a serious news organization.
3: Yeah, exactly right. And you know, when you lean so far to the left, the center starts to look like it's to the right. And that's one of the problems with these guys. And that's one of the reasons why Acosta can't really see where he is. He has no clue where he stands on the spectrum. He doesn't understand that most of us see him as being far left. His biggest problem is not so much that he is far left, but that he is far too stupid to be on national television. It's an insult to the rest of us. I'm sorry for being so pejorative about him, but we all know that's the fact. How many times have you heard that guy say things and you go, let you smack your forehead? Like, how did he get a gig on national television it's truly extraordinary well do you remember when he
0: went uh, do you remember when he went down to the border and he, and he did his piece on the border saying no problem here <laughs> yeah, exactly so i mean you're right he is he is not the brightest bulb, and i can't believe that his producers, his cameramen his directors or anybody else didn't help him out there and uh, uh jim you you're, you're self owning here we should probably reshoot this and, st- and, and take another approach but uh, all right, Pete, let me. Uh, he, we've given him enough time. Hugh has given him far too much time. Don't, sell, don't help him sell that book. Uh, he doesn't deserve it. Uh, we're sending troops to the Middle East, Pete. Uh, Iran is uh, attacking oil tankers uh, in the open sea. And Tom Cotton has suggested this demands a military response, not a sanction response, a military response. Let me see what you think about that as we continue. Peter Kirsten, I'll back right after this on AM 1420 The Answer. 900 All right, 1025, as we continue now with Peter Kirstenow on AM 1420, The Answer. Pete's been kind uh, enough to let me know that he will be joining us for one more segment after the bottom of the hour news. But for this one, Pete, I want to dive into Iran. Uh, Tom Cotton told Hugh Hewitt, Boy, we're giving Hugh a lot of love today, and I, of course, why would we not? Uh, but uh, Tom on Hugh Hewitt today repeated what he said on CBS on Sunday, and that is that we need to respond to the Iranian aggression by their attacks on these uh, oil tankers with a military response. He said it deserves a military retaliatory strike. Now, I don't know exactly what that means, how uh, limited it would be or how expansive it would be. We have struck in Syria in response uh to them taking steps that uh the international community has said cannot be allowed. It didn't lead to greater, you know, than that. It didn't lead to a war with Syria. Can we strike Iran? Should we strike Iran over this? Um, or, or, you know, is there a concern, Pete, that this would lead to war with Iran?
3: Yeah, you know, I'm a, a big fan of Tom Cotton. I listen to him very closely. I don't think he's ever uttered anything with which I disagree, and, and that doesn't mean that necessarily he can't be wrong, of course. Um, but, he but I know how very, much you
0: support him, and that's why I asked you this question. Yeah, he's, I figured, he's, very, uh, he's
3: very deliberate. He's a very deliberate, yeah. thoughtful, very smart guy. Um, uh, he's probably my favorite senator, and that is really saying something. Um, I'm reluctant to engage in uh, overt military uh, activity, but... When a nation acts the way they have, and under any other circumstances, and had we not been so, I think, uh, disaffected by the uh, use of force by the United States and previous administrations toward no effect, in other words, we kind of do things and then walk away, I think that we would say that, yeah, this is one of those circumstances in which we do have to have a military response. We can't have rogue regimes deciding and they're going to attack the lifeblood of, you know, uh, Western civilization with impunity whenever they want to, and, you know, you know, has been a bad actor for a long, long time. Having said that, I think the president has really great instincts on these things. He's one of those guys who says when when you engage in military action, you have to have an end game, and you make sure that you complete that mission. So you don't do these kind of pinpricks and, you know, kind of mess around somewhere without any definitive result the way an Obama would have. And to some extent, you know, many previous presidents have done the same thing. So anyway, that's a long-winded explanation. It sounds like I'm trying to de- deflect. But uh, Uh, my instinct is to concur with Tom Cotton. Again, it depends on parameters also, but I don't like the idea of Doing absolutely nothing. I also don't like the idea of doing something which is merely just kind of uh, something for show without any definitive result. We want to make sure that Iran gets the message, stands down, and understands as Trump does, and he's been doing it with respect to tariffs, with respect to all manner of things, that the United States of America is the big boy on the block. You mess with us, you're in deep trouble. Unfortunately, previous presidents haven't gotten that.
0: Pete, um, the president, it's interesting because you praise both Cotton and the president for their instincts. The president said, the president has called this, quote, very minor. He has said uh, Iran can't be doing these things, but he said this is very minor. It doesn't sound as though the commander-in-chief is going to agree with uh, Senator Cotton on, on a military response here, considering his words, very minor.
3: Yeah, I've heard that, and, and I expected it because Donald Trump is not somebody who just engage, engages in pin, pinprick strikes or does half measures. He does things to affect a result. So I think when he says it's minor, yeah, in the grand scheme of things, this is not a D-Day invasion. Um, I would expect he's going to do something. I don't know what that thing would be. And But nonetheless, with respect to your initial question, you know, look, mm-hmm. uh, I give Tom Cotton the benefit of the doubt because m- more times than not, he is – right. He has studied this thing a lot more closely than I have. So I will defer to him until such time as I have more information. But with respect to your question about the president, yeah, I think the president's not one of these guys who does half measures. I think that he's going to look at something. And if it provokes a uh, or requires a military response, he's going to do it. And he's going to not do it in some way that, uh, you know, as I said, throwing a few missiles here and there.
0: Yeah, uh, agreed. And, 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 and I tend to agree with Tom Cotton as well. I do think something needs to be done here because Iran has already learned from the previous administration uh, that they can do pretty much whatever they yep. want, including be, by way of that ridiculous nuclear deal. And I'm going to get your response on that on the other side, because Ilhan Omar, among other prominent Democrats, is saying Iran is acting this way because of Donald Trump and because of us pulling out of the nuclear agreement. We need to get back to the table immediately so that we can uh, keep tabs on Iran a little bit better. So I'm going to get your Response to that, I have an idea of the the track you're going to take, <laughs> but we'll come right back <laughs> with Peter now on AM Granger for the ones who get it done. All right, rolling onward, we get uh, one more segment. Our good fortune with Peter Cursonow on AM 1420, The Answer. Make sure you listen to the now Report. You hear that weekly here on uh, on this on this uh, station, I should say, and of course. Um, uh, Pete is our favorite guest to have on. Pete, uh, I want to follow up on the Iran story for just a moment here and uh, share the thoughts of uh, Jihad Omar. I mean, Elhan Omar, uh, the head of the Hamas caucus in the U.S. House, propagandizing, in my opinion, for the Ayatollah. None of this would be happening. Uh, says uh, Ilhan Omar, speaking of the problems between the United States and Iran, uh, and also about the Iran threatening to exceed the nuclear deal's limits on uranium enrichment. None of this would be happening, she said, if Trump didn't back out of the Iran nuclear deal. America's response should be to return to the table and reinstate the Iran nuclear deal. Increasing tensions and threats of war serve nobody's interests. Now, Pete, it was the Iran nuclear deal that allowed the Iranians to continue to enrich uranium. It is It was the Iran nuclear deal that set them on the course to actually having a bomb within 10 years. The president pulled out of it in order to stop that, and now that they continue to do what they always do, which is cheat and violate agreements anyway uh, by enriching more uranium than they are allowed to, now she's saying that it's our fault that that is happening. Um, got a response to her?
3: I can repeat on the air, Bob, without you being able to retain your license. (laughs) Um, The the fact of the matter is that um, this is part of the Blame America First crowd. You know, Gene Kirkpatrick came up with that name a long time ago. Uh, This was the Iran nuke deal, and I think I've said it on this program a number of times before, was the single worst international agreement of all time, with the possible exception of the Molotov-Rippentrop Pact. This was an abomination. Victor Davis Hanson had a piece about a day ago or two days ago where he talked about the fact that everybody in Washington knew knew this was a bad deal and would ultimately lead to nuclear weapons and everyone was okay with that, the establishment, until Donald Trump came along and said, what? Are you kidding me? And stopped all this lunacy and just pulled out of it. Uh, That's one of the things about Donald Trump and his being a disruptor. Uh, In addition to that, to to, to quote people, William F. Buckley once called some, uh, referred to the invincibly ignorant. He did it in a different context, but an Ilhan Omar is not invincibly ignorant so much as I don't think she has at any point had America best interests at heart. This deal would succeed in giving to Iran, as we all know, $150 billion. John Kerry, former Secretary of State, even conceded that a lot of that money found its way or would in the future find its way into the hands of the Quds Force and Republican Guard and Hezbollah and others to finance terrorism because Iran is the chief sponsor of state sponsor of terror in the world. This was an abomination. It was extraordinary that anyone would do something like this. Uh, the, the fact that we are, um, that they are pulling out, supposedly pulling out, means absolutely nothing whatsoever, because everybody with a brain understood that they would merely cheat. As you just said, Bob, this would give them cover to eventually acquire, even under the explicit terms of the agreement, to eventually acquire nuclear capability. But everyone also with the brain believed that they would cheat like crazy. And why? Because there were clear provisions within the agreement itself. Apparently, nobody likes to read these agreements. I'm one of the poor guys who has nothing better to do than to read these things. We would not have the ability to process separately inspect any of their nuclear facilities. Some of their facilities were completely off-limits. On top of that, we were required to defend their nuclear facilities, the presumption being that Israel might, for some unknown reason, decide to, to engage in a preemptive strike against one of their facilities in case they were developing nuclear weapons. This was extraordinarily bad, and I'm just citing some of the highlights of this thing. This had to have been pulled out. And just one kind of aside that has absolutely nothing to do with the Issue at hand, Bob. As somebody once said, and I think it was Donald Trump, when he was bemoaning the fact that he couldn't get any money for the wall, and he said, well, you know, how did Obama put $1.8 billion in cash on pallets in in air uh, air transport and send it over to uh, Iran as part of the nuke deal without anyone having to sign off on it? Yet he can't get money for the wall. The entire matter with respect to the Iran nuke deal was an abomination from the outset. The fact that... Uh, Gosh, I've purged his name from my memory, Uh, the Tennessee uh, Senator um, Corker. The fact that Corker would help engineer a reversal of the treaty clause to get that passed is something that will live in infamy and will be in his historical record forever and ever. It is a good thing that we've got some clear-eyed people. We mentioned Tom Cotton in the past, but the list is too long now to, uh, to really go through. But it's led... By the clear eyes of Donald Trump, as I'll say it again, I'll repeat my mantra: I wake up every morning holding my breath because I don't know what he's going to do next. But I'm here to tell you, I have no compunction to say right now, to this point, he's the best president of my lifetime.
0: Wow, uh, strong words, uh, Peter Kirsten. Now. and 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 you mentioned Israel, uh, Israel. Not um, you know, w- w- you know, somehow they they would uh, engage in a pre- preemptive strike in one of their facilities for in-between too much. Would they? Might they? Uh, Because I gotta tell you, uh, BB Netanyahu does not play. Bibi Netanyahu is not going to like the fact that Iran is uh, flexing its muscles and bombing uh, 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 tankers, oil tankers, and and trying to uh, affect the flow of of energy uh, to the rest of the world. And and they're not going to like the fact that Iran is bragging about the fact that they are about to exceed the uh, uranium enrichment that they were allowed to do under the uh, terms of that agreement that the United States backed out of, but that other countries are still a part of. So Iran is not going to play, or excuse me, Israel is not going to play these. Games with Iran, might they, uh, you know, uh, take steps to uh, to head this thing off before it goes any further? Oh, abso-
3: yeah, absolutely, Bob. I have no doubt that if they believe that there is a threat that's posed to them, if it's not just imminent but something that, uh, if it's allowed to progress along its normal course, will eventually result in nuclear weapon, they'll strike. They've demonstrated that already. Remember the Azraq nuclear uh, reactor strike against Syria that uh, that they engaged in, and all of the, you know, remember the. Um, we talked about the various viruses that have plagued the Iranian nuclear facilities uh, the uh, uh, gosh it's in my book and I can't even remember <laughs> the name of the one virus but uh, the uh, the Osboro viruses um, that were su- it's suspected that Israel and the United States were engaged in a joint project to um, uh, hurt their nuclear reactor and centrifuge capabilities. I have no doubt that Israel will do that if they think the time is appropriate. And what they've got is an ally in the White House that, as opposed to Obama, will not constrain them or hold them back. Uh, so the fact that they haven't hit yet tells us that they don't think it's the appropriate time to do so right now, but I have no doubt that if they want to do so, that uh, Trump would give them the green light and probably assist in every way he could.
0: Yeah, I would imagine he would as well, uh, Pete. And then, you know, the the last thing, just to uh, kind of uh, put a cap on this with Iran, they're bombing tankers. President is calling them uh, minor, uh, a very minor deal. Tom Cotton is calling for um, a military strike, and we're sending a thousand troops down there. Do you? Th- that's not a lot. Uh, it's not even a full regiment. But do you think that this is the beginning of a buildup of more troops there? Uh, the the president's. Um, strongest stance on on conflicts in the Middle East at least in, in, the, in the last year was hey I'm bringing people home from Syria uh, we've already defeated ISIS, we've declared the war against ISIS over essentially we've uh, decimated them and we don't need to be over there anymore and that had a lot of uh, anti-war people very very happy but now a guy who says this is very minor is sending a thousand well CENTCOM and the Pentagon is doing this but of course he could stop it as commander in chief but they're sending a thousand troops over there so, what do you suppose that says about this pete with uh, in terms of the president's mindset?
3: I think it says it's a tripwire. I don't think he thinks it's time yet to commit any kind of robust uh, complement of troops. But when the United States, under the right presidents, sends troops somewhere, that's a tripwire. If we send 1,000 troops to the Middle East, number one, it shows that you know we've taken, we, we've taken a look at this and we've disapproved. But number two is if Iran does anything else, and if it transgresses you know, any territorial sovereignty of one of our allies, or maybe hits one of our troops or troop carriers then that's a problem. So it's a trip it's like a warning. You don't have to send a whole lot of troops to do that, but I think Iran and its military forces understand that we're sending a signal, especially with this president, that if you do anything that uh number one uh is a manifest violation of the Iran nuke deal, I mean it's clear and we see it. Number two hurts one of our allies, specifically Israel, then you guys are in a world of hurt.
0: Yeah, and you know um Pete it's a great answer uh by the way and and I really hope that the you know uh, that this isn't something bigger than that again I said this to you at the beginning of our conversation and I can't remember exactly what line that the Syrians crossed remember Barack Obama was not uh, I think it was used, I think it was the same thing there was it was a red line uh, that Obama instituted on Syria uh, saying that if they use any chemical weapons, uh right. that, you know, that's a, that's a line that was going to provoke, you know, a, a military response from us. And then, of course, he did nothing. They used it under Trump. And Trump, was that the Moab? Was that when we dropped the Moab?
3: No, uh, he did that before then to send a signal. But you may remember when he hit uh, ISIS big time. Um, yeah, I do, and was, I'm
0: just trying to remember exactly what it was in Syria because uh, you know it, it was it was a military response. It did not lead to anything further. Syria didn't respond to that. It didn't lead us into some kind of a war. It was just a response. And I feel like that's the kind of response that is required yeah. here. I you know just going back to what we said at the beginning with Tom Cotton, there has to be something that lets Iran know we are not just. Not only are we watching, we are. Just Approving, and this is what we're doing about it uh otherwise they just get emboldened syria knew their place after that uh and and i think uh, we dropped the moab i want to say on isis targets in uh, afghanistan if memory serves I, I've yeah, to they, they
3: were their were taliban targets in afghanistan and you're yeah. exactly right bob you, you've nailed it uh the fact is you know you look at what trump has done he has set certain markers remember when he uh, ordered that Strike of all those Tomahawk missiles against Syria uh, when Assad had, uh, you know, used chemical weapons, and it was a pretty, you know, significant strike. He did it when he was at Mar-a-Lago with. Uh, Prime Minister Xi, remember of China, he was sending a signal to the entire world that if you cross the United States, there will be repercussions and distinct opposition to what had happened the previous eight years. When the president sets a red line, more importantly, when the United States of America sets a red line, you cross it at your peril. And not just Peril in terms of you're going to get a hangnail, but it is it is a devastating effect. So I think this was important. I think, and if you take a look, you know, I, I look at it. And I know you've taken a look at this stuff too. Um, when you have the UN reports that come out, and there's other um, uh, agencies that produce these reports that show the incidents worldwide incidents of terrorism and uh, other incursions by bad actors. During the Trump administration, those have fallen fairly significantly. There's a reason for that kind of stuff, because the bad actors know that there are consequences to their actions as opposed to when you've got somebody who's bowing to dictators and letting them do whatever they want to after he's already drawn a purported red line.
0: Peter Kirsten now laying it all out for us. Pete, great stuff, great analysis all the way down, and great memory and recall on some of the things that I was uh, lumping together there uh, with respect to our previous military incursions, if you will, uh, in the Middle East. So uh, we'll obviously keep our eye on this very closely and talk about it as the situation warrants it. Pete, thanks very much for going extra with us as well. As always, we'll talk to you again next week. Take care, Bob. Thank you, Peter Kirsten. Now, Peter Kirsten now joining us. It's 1048. Quick time out now. On the other side, we'll get a couple of phone calls and an update on Alliance Defending Freedom. Victory. Victory at the U.S. Supreme Court. Houched in a different way. I'll share that story with you coming up right here on AM 1420 The Answer. Title and doc Fees with Current Lessie and Household. All right, ten fifty two, final segment of the Bob France Authority. I've got to share this with you. First of all, you're doing an outstanding job. We are right on track in our appeal, our month long appeal to assist the Ministry of Alliance defending freedom. They are working overtime for so many people to defend their Uh, their uh, religious liberty, their religious rights, your religious rights could be next. Seriously, this is what it's all about. And uh, yesterday we had a really, really great day of donors and today I need the same thing to happen. We're right on track, but we're not ahead of the game. We need 19 more donors by the end of this month to donate $100 each in order to get to our goal to help Alliance Defending Freedom. Salem stations all across this country are partnering with ADF as they work their tails off to help you. They are not charging any of their clients for their services, which means we need to help pay for these trials. We need to help pay for all of the costs, and that's exactly what we are doing. All of the donations are tax-deductible to 800-691-8969. And I want to tell you again how this works by saying that it's working. Another example, the Supreme Court just yesterday threw out a ruling against two Oregon bakers who had refused to bake a same-sex wedding cake for a lesbian couple. The couple, Melissa and Aaron Klein, I've told you about them, cited religious beliefs as the reason for not providing services for the gay wedding ceremony, touching off uh, the latest in a series of such cases. During the court's last term, justices ruled in favor of Jack Phillips and Masterpiece Cake Shop in a similar situation, stating that a state body demonstrated improper hostility toward the baker's religion in finding that he violated a state anti-discrimination law. On Monday, yesterday, the court sent the Klein case back down to a lower court for further consideration in light of this, after that lower court had found them to be discriminatory. So the Supreme Court, in essence, has found for... The Kleins and Sweet Cakes by Melissa saying, "No, you were wrong. Fix this." As they sent this back down, the central disputes have yet to be addressed by the Supreme Court. But based on uh, other uh, uh, court cases, including Masterpiece Cake Shop, and of course, we all know Baronel Stutzman involving the florist in uh, in Washington State. Her case is pending as well. Uh, this is this is what the fight is all about. The fight is all about their rights to say, "Hey, I will, of course, serve." And make cakes for gay customers. They all do it. Baronelle Stutzman has gay florist customers that she has provided arrangements for. She has no problem at all. This is not about discrimination against anyone's sexual orientation. It's saying I cannot participate in something they're calling a wedding ceremony. Because that violates my religious beliefs that marriage is between a man and a woman. It's just that simple. So kudos to ADF. And to uh, Sweet Cakes by Melissa for their victory in the Supreme Court, a, a modified victory. Like I said, it's kind of couched as a victory because um, they sent it back to the lower court saying you were wrong. They didn't necessarily just flat out overrule it. They said, yeah, you better think twice on this one because uh, you're going down the wrong track. So that's a huge victory uh, in the grand scheme of things for Sweet Cakes by Melissa and for ADF. If you can help Support people like um, uh, uh, Melissa and Aaron Klein. If you can support people like Baron L. Stutzman, if you want to support the Lyceum in South Euclid, please donate. We need four more $100 donors today. We need four more to get this thing done to keep on track so that we can make sure that we reach our goal by the end of the month. Call this phone number, 800 691 8969. 800-691-8969, or you can donate online at whkradio.com with the Alliance Defending Freedom banner at the top of the page. Click that link. It'll take you right to the Freedom Fund. Please donate to help fight these important fights. Mike Goldstein, my friend, joining us now on AM 1420, The Answer. Mike, good morning. How are you?
1: Morning, Bob. How are you?
0: I'm good, my friend. I'm, I'm sorry I didn't get a chance Columbus. to get you on earlier. Yeah, I'm, I'm sorry I couldn't get to you okay. earlier with Pete uh, uh, on previously, but uh, I do want to squeeze a couple of minutes in here with you. What's on your mind today?
1: Okay, well, let's talk about what you were <clears throat> talking about with Pete about the, the bombing of the tankers at the Gulf. Yeah. Uh, if you look at what Victor Davis Hanson says, it's right on point here. You have to have deterrence, and Obama got rid of our deterrence, and it's very dangerous when you tried to bring it back. But deterrence is not just having much more military force than the other side has, than the bad guys have. They have to believe you're going to use it, or they're going to make a mistake and do something that's going to involve us in a big war. And that's what happened in World War II, where Hitler said that uh, the British Prime Minister, Neville Chamberlain, even though the Brits and the French had enough power to stop Hitler, they weren't going to use it. They weren't going to use it. And Hitler said, that if, that if that worm, Neville Chamberlain, comes back again, I'm going to beat him over the head with his own umbrella. So he made a mistake. He went into Poland. A 100 billion people died in the next six years. And it's because that was just to show, Hitler, that, yes, in Japan, that, oh, yes, the West was actually better than we were and had more force than we did. But where we could have stopped it early on, I mean, America remained neutral. America first, the way it was used then. And the Brits and the French wouldn't use their power to stop Hitler. Hitler made a mistake by going into Poland in September 1939. And the war started. And it took that much to uh, show Hitler that he was wrong. So what we need now is to let the Ayatollahs know that we intend
0: to. Mike, just so you know, less than a minute, my friend. Go ahead.
1: Yeah, that's okay. I think I made my point, and I, I'm sure that's what Tom Cotton has in mind. If you ever have Victor Davis Hanson on, he'll explain that. It's in his book, The Second World War, and I, I'm pretty sure that President Trump knows this, too, because I have a feeling he listens to Victor, as we all should.
0: I think that, and that's and great advice. That, that's yeah, great I, advice, I and Mike, I've, I've I'm going to end it there because you're right. I'm going to take your advice, and I'm going to try to reach Victor Davis Hanson and get him on this program as well. I know he's been on Hugh and and a number of other uh, uh, Salem programs, but I'm going to try to do that here uh, on this level as well, and I appreciate the uh, great points that you make. We are out of time, unfortunately, though, or else I would let Mike go uh, a lot longer because he's a wonderful person to talk to and to listen to. But Mike Gallagher is waiting in the wings, so we must listen to Mike Gallagher. That's coming up next. We'll see you tomorrow on the next Bob Enjoy Brands
1: the let